Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by Stacey Patton. Here to talk to you about the last couple of games the Knicks had this week. The comfort food, very easy win, I thought, over the Spurs. And then the food poisoning that was last night in Indiana. Um, Stacey, how are you doing? Pretty good. That's an interesting metaphor because apparently Evan Fournier claimed to be dealing <laughs> oh, yeah. with some food poisoning as well. All the Knicks did not have food poisoning, so unfortunately that that will not explain everybody's performance. But yeah, Fournier um, apparently had a steak in Texas and it did not go well. Shout out, plant-based proteins, less <laughs> likely to cause that kind of shit. All right, so let's start. I will, I, just one other note on that. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw, but uh, the Pacers have entered health and safety protocols. Um, I did not see that yet. Obviously is a little bit concerning. Obviously, any team entering is concerning, but specifically the Knicks, they just played them. So, uh huh. And looking forward to the Knicks' next game is supposed to be in Toronto, which is uh, international travel, and Canada's had a whole different set of standards and rules. So, that could be very interesting very quickly, actually. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that story. Um, so, Stacey, let's say that today, somewhere in Midtown Manhattan, Someone will call Joseph K. Randomly, wakes up from a. I don't know. They've been in a coma for like six months, and the first thing that they say is like, "You know what? My life is a is a real mess now, and I don't know where I'm going to pick up the pieces. But at least I know that the Knicks will be good because when I went under, I was coming off of last season, and I'm sure the Knicks are are continuing on their plan." Tell me how my Knicks are doing. Tell me how they're looking. What stands out to you? Because we'll get to the two games, but I'm just curious in a broad sense right now what you see in this year's Knicks that you find the most different from last season. Yeah. um, It's the play of the bigs. Um, That, you know, the, the, the fact is this. The offense has been frustrating. Randall has been up and down, but that was the case last year too. Um, he was hitting more shots, but he had plenty of stinkers. And the offensive talent around him were, was worse. So overall, they've actually improved on offense. Um, the bigger issue is they give up lots of teams would go to the rim against them, and Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson um, would make them pay. This year, lots of teams are going to the rim against them, and then they either score or the Knicks help so, so much that um, you know, they're giving up wide open threes, right? And they did give up wide open threes at the beginning of last year. But A, they were, because they were so good at the in the paint, when teams had to take layups, you know, they were getting stiffed. And the Knicks were doing a better job rebounding. And um, this year they haven't. I mean, they really haven't turned off the water anywhere. Um, you know, 
when when they contest shots at the rim, they often give up offensive rebounds uh, or easy mm-hmm. kickouts. And um, you know, and we can also blame bad shooting. Sorry, we can blame like unlucky shooting, right? Like, well, this team hit sixty percent from three, but it's like if you put yourself in that pos- those positions, you're just going to have teams consistent. Like, if you give up lots of threes, sometimes a lot of them are going to go in. You know, I, I I've had a bad habit for much of my life of being late, right? Uh, and I would get frustrated. It's like, why does it always seem to be that all of these things conspire to go against me, right? I can't catch a break, you know, whether it's, you know, I just missed the subway or I hit traffic, right? And then you're like, if it's happening every time, it's not a once in a blue moon thing. It's it's you you are the common denominator, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the Knicks is. Like, we can say like, well, man, how are all these role players hitting so many threes? But you're consistently putting yourselves in bad position. So if you were to wake up from a coma in the last six months, what would be most eye-opening and concerning is is just how and how much of a mess the Knicks defense is. I think it starts with the bigs, but that's kind of the, the double-edged sword. Last year, we were able to play guys who weren't great defenders because we knew that we had elite rim protection. This year, for a variety of reasons, we haven't, and the whole thing has kind of fallen apart. How much of that... What amount of this falls on the coaching? Because... Obviously, Tom Thibodeau's history shows he's highly qualified, particularly as a defensive coach. The defense is struggling, and, and you've pointed out an obvious issue with the personnel. The, the centers in particular are not playing as well as they did. Tom Thibodeau can't do anything about that. But is there a point where Thibodeau needs to make, you think, adjustments that he's not making? Is he ex- Is he expecting his personnel maybe to get to a point that they're just not going to get to this season? Or... You know what? What falls on Thibodeau, if anything, or do you think this is really, you know, there's not there's not that much he can do if the personnel isn't isn't performing. Yeah, um, there are things he can do. Um, so it's it's more than just the bigs. Or I mean, even if it was just the bigs regressing, you could put some of that on them. But I think that is out of his control. Um, Nolas Noel, I think, has been hurt. He looked better against the. Uh, he had he didn't have a better game than Mitch against the Spurs. But if you watch the film, he was doing a good job getting out on threes, those kind of things. So I get it. Um, I think I would before last night I was saying use more Taj Gibson because um, he gives you a higher floor and he's not going to make the same kind of mistakes. But Taj also played very poorly last night. Um, seemed to be antsy and uncomfortable against Sabonis. So I don't know how much of that. And then last night we saw that Tibbs. Uh, and then I'll also say the Knicks do have Jericho Sims, who um, you, we cannot just assume that Tibbs is um, being hard on him because he had one good game. Uh, he did have one good game. I was impressed at that. I wouldn't be upset if Tibbs decided to give him more minutes. But I'm not ready to deem Tibbs as like some young player hater off of one performance because we've seen a lot of poor performance from Jericho Sims, too. He's still young. Um in terms of coaching adjustments, he made one against San Antonio that he did not make yesterday, so he benched Mitchell Robinson. That turned out better than it could have because, A, you have the motivational factor, but, B, Mitchell only played 22 minutes, and he was playing in four or five-minute stints. Yesterday, he was playing extended stints, and that's, like, for Mitch, it's often when he gets gassed, he just looks awful. He doesn't get out on threes. Uh, he's, it's also there's mental fatigue, so his processing is worse. So that's one adjustment Tibbs could make. Uh, the other ones are a little more subtle. Um, so I think that he, he, yesterday he went more with Obi and Randall together. 
And I think one issue with that is when Randall plays drop coverage, he's terrible. Mm-hmm. But when you have him switch on to on the senders, uh, or sorry, when you have him switch on to guards, he's actually pretty good at that. Now, the downside of that is if you're playing a team like Indiana and you switch you know, quickly or someone onto Sabonis, that's less than ideal. The drop just doesn't work with him. So those are some of the, the things with Tibbs. But other than that, um, there's not a whole lot else. It's just... Yeah, you have to figure out a way to, if your bigs are not playing well, being able to share the load um, and being able to play a different way. And I think he's mixed that in. He's had more switching schemes. Um, but, you know, the whole point of last year was to build an identity. And that identity was built around the idea of a strong big. And at the time, we said, yeah, we need that, right? Because the Fisdale era, um, you know, a lot of it was just not building an identity and trying a bunch of different things, right? Um, Tibbs didn't do that last year, but now... You know, um, it's kind of like if you were seeing that fox and the hedgehog analogy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Knicks had been too much of a fox trying too many different things and not good at anything. Last year, they they had their identity. And now with that one thing gone, um, you know, you're seeing. So I don't know if the solution is they need they just need a good big. And most teams are not good without a great rim protecting big, right? Chicago has done it, but they have much better perimeter defenders. And the Knicks knowingly built their team this way. Because they they figured they could lean on the the bigs and Tibbs' scheme. So, so you mentioned Thibodeau made a nice adjustment in the Spurs game, um, and Mitchell Robinson. I want to look a little more at that game, um, and then we'll dive into the Pacer fiasco against the Spurs. There were a number of really pleasant um, kind of reminders in that game of things the Knicks can be. One was Mitchell Robinson, who came off the bench, and like you said, Mitch himself has said. Um, he said it the other night in a quote that, like, basically after, like, six minutes, like, he's gassed um, after a six-minute stint. So he had an amazing first half um, and really was – was the energy was there um, on both ends. And you saw emotion out of Mitch, which you don't always see. Um, but after one – I think it was an end one or after a, maybe the dunk where Randall found him when he ran, like, the length of the floor, like, just very energized, very into it. Uh, RJ Barrett obviously had a career night shooting from deep after slumping for a bit, um, more more than a bit actually. And Randall, I thought, was very impressive in in the way of a pitcher who isn't striking anybody out, but he's in a good rhythm. He's going at his own pace. He's not overthrowing. You know, he's just inducing contact. And and you know, when a guy after seven innings has like a very like Randall didn't have thirty points or ten assists, but I found him very. He was doing what he wanted to do. He seemed to be in the zone. Um, what stood out to you from the Spurs game? Yeah, I mean, on offense, they just had better flow, um, th- th- which they showed for flashes against the Pacers, but they also had a tendency to be very ugly. Um, and the three-pointers went down. And I think a lot of people are say that's a make-or-miss league, and I get that, but um, it didn't feel like a coincidence. Um, the turnovers are also much better, particularly from Randall. Randall had... Um, he didn't have 10 assists, but he did have eight and he had one turnover. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, they, they, um, the process from Randall was much better. And I think people would prefer those seven inning games where he's just not making a lot of mistakes. He's taking and making open shots because he's never been the kind of guy where he makes jaw dropping plays for the most part. Right. He has that in his bag, maybe some nice fadeaways, but that's not really his game. Um, and I thought he played, uh, you know, he, he managed the game. It was, that was, it was pretty good. Um, the other part of that was RJ Barrett 
rediscovering his jump shot. But more than that, I really liked the process. And he showed it yesterday to a, a lesser extent. Uh, and the willingness to go to the rim, decisiveness on offense, um, some nice passes. Um, I did not like his defense at all against Indiana, and I thought his offense was also worse than it was against San Antonio. But these are two solid games after a stretch where he really struggled. Um, um, so those are my main takeaways. And then the bench <laughs> the bench was the bench. Rough shooting night for quickly, but uh, I really liked his activity. I thought he made some nice plays, some nice passes. Um, and the last thing is, yeah, I mean, it really seemed to be a wake-up call for Mitchell Robinson. So that was a good game, um, but I think it didn't, you know, they shot 47% from three. They're not going to have that happen every night. They probably still played better than the Spurs even without that. Um, but the defense was good. It wasn't back to last year. Um, and we saw that, you know, um, they're still not at that level consistently because against Indiana, they reverted to a lot of bad habits and against a talented team. But, um, you know, all five starters for Indiana were in double figures by the third quarter. Um, it was, and you're talking about, um, you know, Chris Duarte is a talented player, but he's really mostly a shooter. And the Knicks were consistently getting beat by him to the rim. Um, you know, Brogdon has always caused the Knicks problems. That wasn't a change. Um, and then you had Karis Levert, who has some talent, but he's he is a predictable player, and you should be able to force him into an inefficient game. And the Knicks weren't. Um, so I, I only bring up that. I know we're talking about the Spurs game, but the good things in the the Spurs game where they had, were stronger in perimeter defense, the bigs, even Noel, played better. Um, and you know, th- those are the encouraging things. And then the shots fell, but the shots could have fallen last night and I still would have felt like it was a, it was a pretty poor performance. So, One of the continuities for this team all season that was really um, prominent last night in the loss was the starters certainly have not been as, as effective as the bench you know, this season relative to who they're going up against. Um, we've seen a little bit of movement from Thibodeau where – he replaces Kemba Walker with Alec Burks and then maybe benches Mitch, but has has had to do a lot of shifting the center just due to everybody being banged up at some point. RJ Barrett has looked really good with bench units that play at a quicker pace. He can get out in transition. I've always liked, which is a problem because they're the, they're the teams, the two players that they depend on the most. But I like a lot of times how Barrett looks without Randall there, um, getting to, to be on the ball a bit more. Do you think that there's a, a bigger shakeup to be made in the starting lineup, whether via a trade or whether some move that we haven't seen yet from, from Thibodeau, possibly daring to start Randall and Toppin together? I don't know. Do you, do you think, because the starters have struggled all season. This has been a, a running theme all year. Do you think there's a personnel move to be made there? And if so, what might that be? Yeah, and one person I didn't mention who I thought played well, particularly in the second half against the Spurs, um, was Evan Fournier. Um, I said it; he's kind of a bellwether for this team. So against the Spurs, he had a few big threes. He also had some nice plays on defense. Um, he showed an ability to kind of trap and, like, in a small space, he can he has quick hands mm-hmm. and he makes some of those plays. But on the other hand, he can be very slow. Um, and we saw that, I mean, against Indiana, the wings were just torched. I mentioned Duarte and Levert. Um, Fournier was cooked by Duarte all day, 
And Duarte has shown more off the ability than he was rumored to out of the draft, but that's inexcusable. And you had RJ is also not the quickest defender, right? He's a strong, bulky guy. You like him on the Jason Tatums of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have much foot speed, and Burks is guarding the point guard. Uh, so I think that if there were to be a move to... And on top of all of that, Fournier has the same habit that some of the Knicks do, is that his offense and defense seem to feed off each other. Uh, he made some very perplexing decisions last night. Uh, I have felt like when it when the offense really looks good, him and Julius are having a lot of success with their dribble handoffs, mm-hmm. um, and that's the Knicks can feed off of that. Lately, that's gone away, and I wonder if Fournier really just needs to play more in the second unit where there's a lot more ball movement and dribble drives uh, as opposed to more of just the Randall-centric stuff. And I would say if I was to substitute for him, it would probably be Emmanuel quickly. Um, I would have put quickly in over Alfred Payton last year at point guard. This year, a lot of people have not been happy with Alec Burks being promoted. Um, <clears throat> I do not think Emmanuel quickly is a better player than Alec Burks. I think there's a case to be made that he's a better passer, but Burks is better at getting to the, the rim. He's done a really good job of getting to the foul line. He's a better shooter even than Emmanuel quickly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a little more size on defense, even though I think quickly is better at the point of attack. But I think you, the, the whole point is you can play them together, right? Um, so I think quickly in favor of Fournier. And then, you know, you play RJ at three, let him guard bigger guys so he doesn't have to worry about a guy like Karis LeVert. Um, and then you have someone, you know, like quickly who, who did a good job on the verb and he's generally does a better job on, on those kinds of quick players that gives your, you, you shore up the perimeter defense a little bit more. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you just have to hope that the bigs get healthy, play a little more Taj. If you have to try Sims, that's fine. You can try more lineups with Obi, but I think we saw a little bit yesterday. I'm saying this is a huge Obi should start or should play significant minutes with Randall proponent. Uh, they gave up a lot of offensive rebounds. Obi actually finished with the worst plus minus on the bench at minus 13, even though his stat line was pretty good. And part of that was um, it's two things. He, you know, when they ask him to, to chase shooters around on the perimeter, he's much worse at that than when he can kind of park himself in the paint and make simple rotations and move in a straight line. And so teams have been kind of forcing him around screens and all of that of late. Uh, but then the other thing is the rebounding suffers a little bit. Now, the upside of that is he's also great at getting out in transition and running the floor. That's how you counter those things. But Indiana is a tough team to do that against. But we saw both sides of that. But if I had to put my money on a move, and I think it would be within the next 5, 10 games if this continues, it would be quickly or wild card maybe Quentin Grimes starting over Fournier. Hmm. Yeah, Fournier... The, the Jets years ago had a defensive back, Antonio Cromartie, and Fournier completely reminds me of Cromartie in this sense. Cromartie was a playmaker, like, either way. Cromartie was either great at, like, intercepting the ball or giving up, like, a 50-yard touchdown. Like, either way, something was going to happen if Cromartie was involved. And Fournier, I feel, you mentioned, like, some puzzling decisions and, like, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he had food poisoning. Um, but there was a play and it happens like once again there's a player where the ball was kind of near the sideline and Fournier went to save it and he threw it right to I don't remember if it was Levert or somebody like he didn't just turn it over but he like literally sparked a pace or break the other way and I feel like he does that like once a night but like you're saying he also has especially in tight spaces he comes up with some steals and you're like oh 
Fournier is a playmaker, but he really seems like a playmaker both ways to me. Yeah, um, and and it's unfortunate because the Knicks have been want him to get up to a higher role. Um, he, he so he hasn't shown the ability to bring a motor for forty eight minutes. Part of that maybe he played so many years on some of those not so good Orlando um, teams that you know a day in day out on a contender being a, a a plus player can be challenging to, to switch that mindset. Uh, so I'm trying to be empathetic to him, but the reality is what this he, he is kind of a guy whose energy comes and goes, um, who doesn't necessarily seem to take pride in locking up his man. And that's something quickly does. Quickly is going to get beat, but that kind of energy that you bring to a lineup can really help. And even though the the, the bench now would lose a good defender and, and add another poor one, and, and Rose is not a good defender, um, you know, maybe you can play more Grimes. You can play RJ with them, although I'm starting to feel like RJ and Fournier is just not the best combo. Mm. Um, but you can add another good defender. The Knicks have options there. I think Quinton Grimes getting more time in the rotation uh, is also a possibility, um, just because a guy who can bring energy on defense, um, run the floor, make good decisions, and hit threes is like mm-hmm. the Knicks need that because they have too many guys who are not of that mold or can't do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would reduce for, Fournier's for his career has mostly been a, a mid to high twenties guy, and those are on good teams. So um, reduce his minutes a little bit, um, play quickly more. I would place quickly with the starters more. Uh, and that's another thing with quickly. I think that w- is he is he a good NBA starting point guard right now? On some teams, sure, but um, you know if he's the primary option, I think you know even I would say like there are things that he needs to work on. He picks up his dribble too often when he gets in the mm-hmm. paint. Um, you know he's still figuring out who he is as a finisher. Um, he's also now I think that last year you know, and during the offseason, he wanted to improve his point guard skills, so he's passing out of a lot of good opportunities for his own scoring, and that's just something that young players have to. You know, it's a seesaw in terms mm-hmm. of iterating until they get the right balance. Um, so, you know, but as a shooting guard, I think he's fine. If he's not the primary option, if he's the second or third option, he can play off Randall and Burks, um, and find his base. You know, if if he stays in the corner and does nothing, that would be unfortunate. But other than that, um, you know, you let him play defense, have his run some pick and roll, move off the ball, get some open shots. I think he can really improve that starting lineup. And then Fournier can give, um, you know, Rose another connector and play off of him. I, I think Rose and Fournier, you know, maybe they can unlock some things in each other's games um, that uh, are, isn't coming from the current lineups. So, Speaking of young players finding themselves, um, Obi Toppin had a great second season. Last night, after one play in particular, Walt Frazier mentioned like how much more confident Obi is and that he wouldn't have tried this last year. Early in the second quarter, it's 42 to 35. Topping gets out ahead of everyone, gets the pass from Rose, and goes for this between-the-legs throwdown dunk that excites everybody, the announcers, the crowd, the Knicks, probably the Pacers in their darker moments. Is Obi Toppin already the greatest in-game dunker <laughs> that you have seen in Nick history? Um, I mean, I think the greatest... Not that the Knicks have been blessed with a... A bounty of great in-game dunkers. We're not. We're not going to erase. Ranked. We're not going to erase James Flight White here. Are we <laughs> <not>? <laughs> All right. Just thinking through. So the greatest dunk in Knicks history that I've seen, um, I think, is without question 
John Starks. Um, would you agree with that or? Yeah, John Starks the on, on the Bulls. Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, and then um, so I would probably I, he would be up there. Sprewell would be up there. Um, right. Sprewell over I Darren think, Jackson in the finals was an especially yeah. nasty moment. Yeah, and and those and when you talk about in game, a lot of those wear on players. Whereas Obi, like that was an open. I I'm picking on an East Bay dunk, but <laughs> um, but that was in the open floor. Um, so there's a couple of guys who were using dunks as a way to score where they would not have otherwise on defenders. That mm-hmm. I would put them over. Uh, Marcus Camby is a pretty good dunker, uh, and then Shump. I mean, you know, Iman Shumpert didn't have the most decorated Knicks career, but I think we'll all remember that moment where he dunked on KG. And he cursed him out, mm-hmm. and then there was that Pacers dunk, which yes. is probably the best moment of the of, of the Knicks' best playoff run in recent memory, right? So, mm-hmm. um, to answer your question, he could be, but not yet, um, because. But I'll say that he doesn't he doesn't dunk a lot in the half court because he often he has those like acrobatic moves, right? He often like because he can go that way, like defenders have to try to knock yeah, him yeah, close yeah. so then he can just hang there and do those scoop layups. So. Um, but uh, but not yet, man. Let's, we'll check back in maybe later this year. For my money, I'm not I'm not ready to pull him put him ahead of certainly Amari Stoudemire. That's um, right. yeah. But encouraging to see. I think Toppin already has more dunks this year than he had last season. Um, just a fun, encouraging thing to see from him in general, despite the loss. Um, so, and, and one other thing I'll say is for a player who seems to. You know, he's not shaking guys. He's not creating a ton of space for a guy who seems to like just attack the rim yeah. at has been full speed. He rarely gets called for charges. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. His body—they body they mentioned it a couple games ago. His his body control is really some of these swoops and things that he does. He really is good at just like you're right. He doesn't just barrel over people. Hmm. Yeah. As far as Big picture. This team the ceiling or floor of these Knicks, is it any different to you right now? If they stayed with this with this team that they have now, have has your view of their ceiling or floor for the season changed any? The floor for sure. Um I thought the floor would be playing. Uh, I think they're in danger of missing that right now. Um mm-hmm. if they don't solve this issue with the bigs. But I think the ceiling is ceiling is where I thought it was going to be. I thought their ceiling was fifty wins or fifty plus wins, and they've showed that. Um, you know, when they play with energy on offense, um, you know, when they can close out and force multiple passes and live to fight another end defense. Um, and the ceiling also the fact that they can go with Obi and go small, they can play some some different types of lineups. Um, you know, that, that is another, that adds the ceiling more than last year. I think the ceiling is higher than last year. Uh, I think also the East has a few or more question marks, um, to be honest. Like I think the Nets are not as intimidating as they were last year, but that, that tells you the ceiling, right? We played the Nets in Chicago, extremely tough. We've beaten Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, we've beaten Milwaukee, beaten Boston. Um, so the Knicks, like we've seen that they're not, this isn't last year's Knicks, but they've also had some embarrassing performances. So I'd say the floor is lower than I expected it to be at the beginning of the season, but the ceiling is higher than last season. And that's about where I expected it to be. And I still think they're capable of making a run and doing that. 
Um, but they need to figure out. I think center is the biggest issue that they need to figure out. I don't think I thought when the season started that they. Sorry, when the season started, I don't think I thought that they were a real threat to miss the play-in even. And I do think it's possible now. Um, yeah. Right now, would you rather see the Knicks make the play-in tournament or miss the playoffs and win a top-four pick? I know it's way early to be getting into this kind of speculation, but I'm just curious, like, the Knicks could make the play-in tournament and lose in the first round, or they could, you know, get through it and then, you know, get hammered by Brooklyn or somebody. Uh, maybe not, but I never thought I never thought this season at all of like the lottery is a possibility, and I'm not excited if they pick you know 14th. But for their ultimate development, would you rather see them make the play in tournament and keep playing meaningful games and you know a- assessing the team in the playoffs, or do you feel like I'll I'll take that infusion of talent right now? Because I'm concerned sometimes when I watch the Knicks, especially last night, this came up a lot. I'm struck for, I think they have a lot of players who do multiple things, um, which has not always been the case in the past. Even with Randall and Barrett this season, both really struggling with their shooting, they do other things. You know, Barrett plays defense. He often helps on the glass. Um, Randall is is generating about as many points per assist this season as he was last season. Like, Randall does a lot of things. Even when... You know, someone like Quickly, like a, a lot of Knicks do multiple things. But I was struck, especially in last night's game, not to make too much out of one game, by how many times they seem to get their offense started late in the shot clock. And not because they've been pressured, just there's 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 not that many people that can just go right into a move. And when you see, the, you know, the first or second option on a set doesn't work, there's a lot of possessions where it's Barrett or Fournier with six seconds and they're 25 feet from the basket. So maybe just drafting some stud changes things up, but it's not a successful season if they miss the playoffs. So how do you feel about one versus the other? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, I think that the, with the draft odds, the way they are, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough to count on getting a top pick. Um, and there is unpredictability out there. Um, the last time the Knicks picked that high, they got a solid player. Um, but the consensus number one pick has had question marks throughout his career, right? Uh, when he's been healthy, Zion has been amazing, but um, he hasn't been healthy, and there's lots of questions about what his future looks like, despite the fact that he was supposed to be a can't-miss pick. So there's a lot of uncertainty at the top of the draft. This draft, I'm not particularly that jazzed about. Um if you look at the most people would have Paolo Banchero from Duke as the top pick and the player he gets compared to most often because he is a lefty uh, with good one-on-one moves in the post who has a good mid-range game uh, and is strong is Julius Randle. <laughs> so um, that's not, I mean, there's some talented players. I like Jaden Ivy from Purdue a lot. He'd be a great infusion to this team, but um, realistically, I think if that was to happen, I would expect the Knicks to kind of, um, you would see something like a fire sale by the trade deadline if this was what they wanted to commit to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. I would, If they were to do this, I would want them to commit to it. That probably ends up being seeing what the market is for Randall. Mitch is definitely gone at that point. Um, 
and then uh, and then you would start to give minutes to Grimes. You'd 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 probably um, you probably wouldn't trade Burks unless you got a really good deal for him. But you might start to shelve him a little bit more uh, and play Grimes more, right? Do do those kinds of things. Um, that would be like frankly almost like being back to square one. Um, I think that the Knicks are still in a position where they're competitive. They've had some bad games, but if they can get to the play-in, if they can show there's something like Miami the year before they got LeBron and and Bosch was 43 and they were about 500, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Knicks, if they can show that they're in that place, they can still be an attractive destination for players who are demanding trades. And, um, and you, you know, that's, I think, not being able to make the play in would be a step back away from that, which is, you know, ultimately that's what the Knicks can count on. We're not a small market team that builds by like money balling draft picks, right? We accumulate assets and we're trying to bring those stars. The only reason I think that you would really go away from that uh, is if you just feel like stars or no stars, you cannot build a winning team or a championship contender team with Julius Randle because he doesn't necessarily mesh well with ball dominant guys but he's also not good enough to be the lead dog. And that's what part of the season is going to be about figuring it out. Um, you know, uh, you know, if he plays more with Rose, he plays more with quickly. Can those guys take bigger roles? And like you have one plus one equals three, mm-hmm. or does Randall need to be, and I'm not saying this is like Randall is a selfish player or something, but some guys just thrive in certain situations. And the, I think we learned last year that the Randall centric, offense where he posts up a lot and just those other guys kind of revolve around it um it, that has a limited ceiling um through no fault it is but that's 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 the best he can be in that role um so then the other options are can you use him more as a role man if you play him at the five more or play him next to a floor spacer so that he can attack in space and not necessarily have to create everything on his own uh or the other option is yeah neither of those things are possibilities um, you know, th- that's why they got, um, they, that's why they got Fournier. That was the thought behind Kemba is you give him more help and then he doesn't have to play that role. But if it's just a situation where no matter who it is, like, you know, it could be Dame and like, he's just not going to mesh well because he needs to be in that role. Then that's where you start to think, okay, we haven't really made much progress. And then you would look to trade him. I personally think if he can play next to a shooting five or someone with rim protection and three point shooting ability, um, that kind of allows him to play off ball more. You get him with a, a point guard who can make simple reads, uh, and he can be kind of a wrecking ball in the short roll. Um, and I think that would make him worth his contract and would allow him to play with more ball-dominant stars. So, But to, to answer your question, if they were to go that route, I believe it would. the, the answer to the question, can Julius Randle be a, an important piece on a championship contender, would have been answered no. And at that point, I would expect the Knicks front office to commit pretty hard to um, asset accumulation. So you've mentioned the kind of player that could succeed with Randall. You mentioned earlier that obviously the play of the bigs this year has been a source of concern. A lot of the talk recently, especially around Indiana, has been, all right, throw it up. We're not going anywhere with this core. And a name that has been linked to the Knicks seemingly forever this generation's Grant Hill is Miles Turner. Um, I like Miles Turner. I, I'm going to be just extremely simple about it. He can block shots and he can shoot threes. And I know that he has, he's not a perfect player. But to me, the, the equation seems very simple. If he can do what Mitchell Robinson does best 
and he can actually shoot, and that would open up so much spacing for Randall. To me, it seems like depends what the cost would be. I spoke with Mark Schindler um, yesterday, who covers um, the Pacers for Indy Cornrows, and asked him what he thought the price would be, and he said probably quickly in draft picks. And my first thought to that is no, because I feel, and I might I might be totally off on this. God knows, but my first thought is just that the Knicks are so deprived of young, talented guards. Like they have some nice guards right now, more than I think they've had in a while, but. None of them are young. Burks is over 30. Fournier, and I think Fournier is. I know Rose is. The Knicks don't have another guard like quickly on the roster. Um, but Miles Turner? Eh. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I saw that thread you had with Mark. Um, and I think um, if you look at players on the oh, – sorry, players. If you look at a lot of bloggers on the Knicks side, I, I think for me – there are three players who I'm unwilling to include in any trade, and that's OB, IQ, and RJ. Um, and I don't think the Pacers would be interested in Randall, right? So right. you're probably talking about at that point, um, you know, I don't know if they want vets, but, um, you know, you, you know, Burks would be a valuable contract at least, so maybe, maybe they ask for that because uh, he's no. definitely worth a lot more than $10 million. Um, And then you have guys like Fournier, or, sorry, you have, or you'd have a guy like Fournier if you like him, then you have guys like Grimes, um, Deuce, and Sims, right? The draft picks from last year. And Rokas, Jokubaitis. Jokubaitis, sorry. Um, so it, it probably, the, if you talk to a few Knicks bloggers, like I talked to Jeremy Cohen about this, uh, I think Prez was saying kind of the same thing, where, um, you know, you could probably make a deal with a couple of those young guys, a first and then Mitch, and avoid playing, basically avoid including OBIQ or RJ. And Mark and a few other indie bloggers, I think, are of the opinion that no, the Pacers, and I think the Pacers should absolutely demand one of those guys. Uh, I tend to think Mark has the right read on the situation. But I think that's where it comes down to. If the Pacers can't get a be- better deal than that, than like Grimes or McBride, whichever one they prefer, a first, and Mitch, and maybe like Fournier if they want him, mm-hmm. um, then I think, or maybe two picks, you know, if that's what it is. The Knicks do have a, a surplus of draft picks. And if the Pacers are more interested in that than young players, or they just can't get young players of that quality from any other offer, it'll happen. Um, but I think I think a team like Golden State could. Yeah. If I was Golden State, would I trade James Wiseman for uh, Miles Turner? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know that's not how they played their bigs in the past. So who knows if they would do that? But I think they're a big threat. But. Who knows? It's it, we don't. I think the people on the Knicks side. Um, I know Schwinney is pretty confident. I think he he was saying on our Discord that he's pretty confident that it's going to happen. Hmm. Um, that there's like that bid ask ratio between them and the Pacers, and the reality is we don't know what's going to happen. There was an article uh, with Turner that dropped today in the Athletic. I don't know if you saw that, uh, but he expressed frustration with his roles. The way he's treated basically as a glorified role player, and he feels like he's a lot more than that. And he's shown flashes. Um, and I think I think Caitlin Cooper, the extremely wise Caitlin Cooper, said, you know, it's a little unfair of him to blame Sabonis. He hasn't played with him his whole career. That's fine, but I mean, this is where Miles is peaking now, right? So early in his career, he wasn't peaking. So it's not like he could blame someone else at that point. But if you look at his skill set, he really has the whole package. He can obviously block shots. Um, I've always felt like Mitchell Robinson was better at boxing out than him and crashing the offensive glass as mm-hmm. well as switching on the perimeter. I think both of these this season, A, Mitch has been 
less consistent at those things. And B, Turner has improved. He showed a lot of mobility. I think his technique has gotten better on the perimeter. And then beyond offense, like everyone talks about the shooting, but he's really fluid for a big guy. Um, he can put the ball on the floor. He can drive. Um, he's like a decent passer in short roll. And he has good touch. Like he can make really tough shots as mm-hmm, a big. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a high-level offensive player. Um, and, 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 you know, if, if that's the guy who can allow you to unlock Julius Randle, um, you know, that's, that's cause it's tough to find guys like that. You know, uh, the guy, the kind of guys who can, who, who are offensive pluses, uh, beyond just rim runners, um, mm-hmm. as well as, um, as well as shot blockers. That's tough. You know, that, I mean, there's a reason why they called KP a unicorn. So, mm-hmm. um, Turner Randall sounds to me like when you mentioned before, like a one plus one equals three. Like that sounds like that kind of a situation. And and to be fair to Turner, like not only is he a shop, I mean, I'm sure that's most of why he won it, but um, he's he's pretty highly annual. He gets defensive player of the year votes fairly frequently. Um, he can do a lot of things. I I, I would do it in a second. Um, I've never Even been. Even if sure. you had to include quickly or. I would rather trade Toppin than quickly, not because I want to, just because I feel not at all because like I'm I'm desperate to get rid of Obi, but I think just because I feel like oh if you're gonna go in that direction, Randall's still young, he just turned twenty seven. Um I'm gonna if I'm trading for Turner, Toppin's opportunities are more limited with those two at my five and four, and I, I need a young guard somewhere. And to me that's quickly. So I would do it. I would try to go the route that, that you described. Like, you want picks? Sure. Um, and we can help with salary. You know, we can help you maybe unload someone if you want to get get rid of But, like, I don't want to move quickly for him. I wouldn't move RJ unless the deal expanded. Um, and then now it gets complicated. But I would – let's say the Pacers were considering moving, like, everybody. And so I can get Turner in a deal, and I can get Brogdon. And, you know, now it's uh, what I, I don't know, would I trade Toppin and Barrett to get Turner and Brogdon? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying I would do it, but I would think about it because I think Brogdon, I would like Brogdon just, I, I think he's a better fit as a starter. Um, I think he allows Thibodeau to have the confidence in the things that he wants to do. He wants a big a big guard who can switch and defend and Brogdon can um, obviously he can shoot. I know he has limitations, but the only reason I would consider that expanded deal is again, just like with it's fit. I don't know ultimately long-term if I think that Randall and Barrett are a good fit because I'm not sure that either one of them is really a natural shooter. Um, and I'm not sure long-term I want to have 40% of my starting lineup be, be guys that I'm not sure that they can shoot or how well that they can shoot. Depends what's around them. But if I have Turner, let's say I have Turner, Randall, um, Brogdon, um, I don't know, now quickly. Ah. You think they're getting Brogdon in the trade too? If I'm going to move Barrett, I would I would then want to involve Brogdon. If we're just talking Turner straight up, then like I'll move Toppin only because, like I said, if I'm going to get Turner, there's no real room for Toppin, I don't think. Um, if they wanted to expand, if they want RJ, like, I'm not trading RJ. Just for Turner, yeah. I don't think I would. Um, but I would think about it again, because like you said, mostly just the fit. I don't 
I don't know, and it sounds crazy after last season, but like I'm not sure how I feel about the Randall Barrett fit going forward. I am more positive that Turner and Randall would work well. Um, I don't know. RJ is still a bit of a mystery to me. And I, I, if you, if you, if I had to bet, my bet is like he comes through. I think he's like a really hard worker. I think he cares about the game. I think like, I think he has. I think everything RJ Barrett is in control of, he will max out. Like I don't have any question about that. But there are things when I watch him trying to finish at the rim, and it's not just he doesn't have like that elite athleticism. He doesn't have elite touch. Um, I think he's 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 very good, like using his right hand on finishes. But I'm talking more like on on a lot of drives in transition when he's going in with his strong hand, and he just it's, there's that last second where he has to make some adjustment and now put a little touch or English on it. I know he's generally not going to make that shot. Um, he's a very streaky shooter. I like the other stuff. I I love how he stepped up as a defender this year. I want everyone to know I don't hate R.J. Barrett. I'm not itching to trade R.J. Barrett. But I think, tell me if this is crazy, for the way this team is shaped specifically, I'm starting to think like maybe Toppin is more of a, of a, of an influencer on them even than Barrett. Yeah. Um, I think he, his energy is infectious. There's also the fact that soon you have to pay RJ, right? Um, this yep. is his third year. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you're paying RJ Barrett 20, 25 million, I can be tough. The other thing is, um, you know, or, or if you end up in a situation where, you know, some team will overpay him, but he hasn't shown enough and shown enough at the end of the fourth year to really make that mm-hmm. appetizing. You end up end up in this tough position where you have to overpay or do a sign and trade where you probably get you know cents on the dollar. Um, I mean, here's a question: Who do you think is a better player at this moment, RJ Barrett or Alec Burks? Probably. Probably Burks. I think I think Barrett's a better defender. Um, but overall, I'm not even sure I would say that. But yeah, yeah, there's okay. an argument. Yeah. I mean Burks. I think certainly offensively, Burks not only a better shooter, he gets to the line more. Um, he can create for other people. Um, you can play him at two. You can play him at one. I guess you'd have to say Burks. Yeah, and on defense, I think he's been really good. And yeah, he, Barrett's he's better. At- Barrett's better at getting guarding big wings. Here's the thing, RJ Barrett, your third overall pick. You know, we're you know we're probably going to have to invest something like twenty million dollars a year in you conservatively. You got to be better than Alex Burks. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it comes down to by now. True. Um, and maybe maybe he is, but the fact that this is a discussion, yeah, yeah, um, that's not encouraging. And uh, it could be that it's just he's going to maximize the ceiling, but it's not that high. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, in terms of would I move RJ, I was very frustrated with his defense last night. Um, I think watching some of the clips, a lot of it was other players not giving their share in the scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one that really upset me at the time where, you know, Levert just drove right by him for a dunk, on, but it was a pick and roll. Mitch just was useless because he was worried about Turner's three, but then he also didn't close out on that. So he just basically just seemed to be just deer in the headlights. And of course, you, you know, no one tagged. 
or no one helped um, on the drive. So, you know, I was critical of RJ's defense yesterday. It probably is, wasn't that, as bad, um, but he's had some not great performances on that end, and he's not like a lockdown defender. He's like fine. He's good. Um, and if he can perform the way he did against the Spurs, um, that's fine, but he's not going to shoot eight of nine. Like if That's the thing. Does he have to shoot 40% from three to be an effective offensive player? That would be concerning. And even when he was shooting better, there were people who noticed that like at the rim and those kind of things, he hasn't improved that much. And he's got to um, because there's really in this, in this NBA, you cannot be one dimensional to be a really high level offense player. And ultimately um, he's not going to be, I don't think he's going to be Paul George as a defender. So it's going to have to come down to how much he can touch his ceiling on offense. He's had some sickness issues that he mentioned. You know, I, I'm, I'm willing to say as a young player that, you know, he's just one hot stretch from all of this talk sounding really silly. Uh, and he has had those kind of hot stretches and it's not just shooting, but it's also getting in the paint, the floater game and all of those things. There is a, there is a chance he gets there. Um, and when it all clicks, he's a really fun player to watch, but um, yeah, there are concerns. And right now I'd put RJ, Obi and IQ all in a pretty similar tier in terms of how I value them. Um, all of their pluses and minuses with Obi. The minus obviously is that he plays the same position as the next best player who is only 27 with, and isn't a great shooter, but you know, it was a big, it's less of an issue with RJ. The plus is that he plays the most valuable position as a wing, uh, in the modern NBA, um, the downside is, you know, just how high is that ceiling? You know, how high? And then with quickly, the downside is it's a small guard at the end of the day. So even though he's a good defender, um, if that player isn't like bonkers on offense as a shooter, finisher, and passer, it's it's not quite as high of a ceiling, right? Um, so, and to your point, none of those guys are like slam dunk. They have a lot of good prospects, which is a good position for the Knicks to be in. I'm not going to act like, this is the same as having, you know, Frank and <laughs> other guys who are who are putting lots of hopes into. These are guys who have shown that they can produce at a high level. But it's also like they're, we're not talking about a team that has like Evan Mobley or like John Moran, right? right. Um, so that's why, to your point, you know, adding a draft prospect wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. As we wrap up, last question, real quick for you: um, the Knicks' next game is Toronto um, tomorrow night. After that, they have a week where they host Milwaukee and Golden State, then travel to Houston, who's won like a thousand games in a row, and travel to Boston. Is Toronto a must-win on Friday? It certainly feels that way. Uh, and those are all teams. The good teams are just the good teams. Um, you know, Golden State, Milwaukee that are rolling. Uh, but even Toronto is a team that's given us trouble in the past. Mm-hmm. Early in the year when the Knicks were playing with confidence, Toronto beat them. Um and then Houston gave us a really hard time, even when they weren't playing well. Now that's clicking, and now that it's exactly the kind of team that gives the Knicks a problem, mm-hmm. which is a team that plays hard on both. That's another thing. I think teams have stepped up their effort against the Knicks this year. Yes. Um, you see, like, even Indiana, um, you saw Sabonis hitting the floor. Like, teams are playing really hard every night against the Knicks, probably because last year that was the Knicks rep. We saw opposing teams talk about it, that, like, every night you know what you're going to get from Tibbs' team. And now those teams have decided that they're going to commit to erasing that advantage. The Knicks haven't kept up. Um, so does Toronto a must win? It's early in the season. You can always get on a run. But um, as fans, yeah, like if we fall to like 12 and 17 or something, 
that really starts to weigh on you. I don't know how much it weighs on the players. I'm not going to comment on that. Mm-hmm. But um, that's where you might start. And if they lose, you know, if they start to really go down that hole, that's when the front office might start to think um, one way or the other you commit. What is the season going to be? Do we you know, push some chips in to try to get a Miles Turner? Or do we start to um, you know, try to figure out ways to, to give ourselves more assets? I don't know. They, they don't have much leverage that way, though. I mean, Burks, a team might trade a first-round pick for Burks. Um, that would probably be the sign that the Knicks are like, it's not happening this year. And we, you know, uh, But they can't really move Fournier. Um, Noel probably doesn't fetch you a first-round pick. Um, so there's not a whole lot they can do there. Um, I don't know. Do you think it's a must-win on Friday? For this team, I do. Because I think, I mean, to the extent that, like, they could lose every game next week. Like, they really could. You don't have those weeks all the time, but they, they really could easily... It could snowball. Like, you can easily lose to the Bucks, and already the vibe around them is getting a little bit negative, at least from the, the outside. And you don't want to play Golden State having lost, like, three in a row. And then, you know, Houston just beat... The, the Nets didn't have KD, but still, they had Harden, and Houston handled them. And you know the Knicks already beat Boston. They're going to play them again. I hate, I hate to say anything's a must win because there's still two thirds of the season left. But I think it's an unusually important 26th game of the season for a team. I would definitely say that. Yeah, I mean that's it's really the difference between like 12 and 16 and 13 and 15, right? That's a psychologically huge difference. Yeah. And then I think the schedule does open up after that, but. You know, that's the thing. They, they kind of have to... This was the beginning of that stretch, right? They, Denver is the last game of a tough stretch. Then besides this Milwaukee and Golden State games, they're not really facing too many playoff contenders. So mm-hmm. in this, like, 19-game stretch, they do need to kind of go all out because the other stretches, you know, are tough to count on. And if they finish that stretch something like 10-9 and 9 or, like, 11-8 and 8 or something, that's just... That's not going to bode well for even a play-in, so... Yeah, and the margin for error is also we didn't talk about this, but like the margin for error in terms of play-in is lower than it was at the beginning of the year because people didn't expect Washington to be this good. Right. People definitely didn't expect Cleveland to Cleveland. be this good. Yep. So the, the the bubble is tightening. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit out of the Knicks' control, but um, but yeah, uh, let's hopefully they can get the win at Toronto. It's the kind of team that's given them trouble with size, length, and athleticism. They got to take care of the ball. They got to talk on defense. They need way better communication and help from their bigs. Um, but, you know, if they can do that, it was turnovers that killed them the first game. If they can take care of the ball, they should be able to score. And then it's about, um, you know, not having the same kind of lapses they had. Um, they've been having pop up on defense. So we'll see what happens Friday in Toronto. And certainly we'll see how next week goes for the next as well. And we will surely talk to you sometime um, between now and then. So. Enjoy your weekend. Stacey, take care. Um, Everybody, we will talk to you soon. Take care, Matt. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.